Hello and welcome to the Helping Hand podcast. My name is Pauline Shannon. I'm a mother of three and a reflex integration therapist. Each week I will be meeting someone who helps children and families. I will be asking them what they do and how they do it. We will learn how different therapies can help, how to choose which is right for you and how to find them when you need them. Hi, today I'm speaking to Corrine Sabi from Stepping Stones Occupational Therapy. Corrine has been an occupational therapist for over 15 years with most of her work supporting children and young people and their families. She's an advanced sensory integration practitioner and trained in other approaches such as DIR floor time, therapy, therapeutic listening, video interaction guidance and didactic development psychotherapy. Her two areas of interest are sensory integration and trauma and attachment. Hi Corrine, thanks for joining us today. Hi, Pauline. It's lovely to see you and thank you for inviting me to speak with you. So, Corinne, from your list, from your introduction, you do so many different interventions. Can you tell me what do you offer at Stepping Stones? What does it look like? It is quite holistic and it's really individualized and really depends on the person's needs and the family's needs. So it, it can look quite different for different people, different families. Um, but I think probably my main approach that I use is sens- air sensory integration. And um, I quite often use dip into some of my other approaches to complement sensory integration. And I, th- I think that works really well. Sensory integration really lends itself to incorporating some of these other approaches. Um, so, yeah, it can look quite different for different people. So people aren't coming to you for one particular therapy. They can just come to you with an issue and you will assess them and choose which of the things you offer is going to be most helpful to them. Yes, quite often people would find me because they might notice um, that their child is presenting with some sensory difficulties. And that, that's quite often what people come to me with. Um, but often it's also um, functional difficulties. So maybe a child is struggling with handwriting or maybe having difficulty playing or having difficulty getting dressed or using cutlery to eat with or learning new motor activities like riding a bike. Um, so it can be quite varied. And, and as an occupational therapist, you know, I'm well positioned to help people with um, supporting them in their everyday activities. We were talking beforehand and we'd mentioned that, you know, for many people, they don't associate occupational therapy with children. Could you just take a minute to explain how occupational therapy can help children? Absolutely. Yeah. So this is really hard, isn't it? Because occupational therapists work in a variety of areas. And so it can sometimes be difficult to explain exactly what we do and when you would like to look for an occupational therapist. So when we think about occupational therapy as a whole, we're really concerned with function and occupational performance. And when I use the word occupation, I'm really referring to all those activities um, that we're doing in our everyday life. Um, So needing to get ready um, in our roles and the different relationships that we are and things that just the things that we need to do in our everyday life. So when I think about a child's occupation, then I might think about all those activities that they need to do in their everyday life, getting up, getting ready, getting dressed, eating their breakfast, um, maybe going to nursery or a play group or going to school, learning, making friends, playing. Um, And again, like I've said, learning new motor activities like tying their shoelaces, riding a bike. So anything really that they need to do in their everyday life. 
Well, of all the packages, all the interventions that you offer, today you are going to focus on air sensory integration. So can you explain a bit more about that, please? Absolutely, yeah. So it's really an area that I really feel um, so passionate about. And um, it's always just made sense to me. Um, we're all sensory beings and we use sensation and sens sensory information from the environment to inform ourselves um, of ourselves, our bodies, of the world and of others. So really, we use sensation to use our body effectively in our environments. Um, so I really do feel that sensory integration is is as foundational to everything that we really need to do. Now, it's not the reason for everything or for any difficulty, but it is essential for it really is the building blocks for all our other skills. So when I think about sensory integration, I think about the impact that it may have on our ability to move our bodies in a coordinated manner, um, to plan and organize movement. And like I've mentioned before, doing all those activities that we need to do in our everyday life, using a knife and fork together, picking up a pen and writing, moving our bodies to kick and catch a ball. Um, but also when I think about sensory integration, I think about the, the link between the way we perceive and process sensory information and how that links with our autonomic nervous system. And that can have a significant impact on our level of arousal, so how alert we are. It also has an impact on our regulation and it can also have an impact on our ability to attend and focus. So um, really it, it can have a pervasive impact on our ability to engage and participate with others and in activities. And then also what I think is really important when we think about sensory integration is really um, how sensory integration and the way we process and integrate sensory information is linked to relationships and how it, relationships can impact our development of sensory integration as young children. So Jean Ayres, the founder of sensory integration, um, uh, once said that what else is rocking and cuddling um, a child than tactile vestibular input coupled with an intimate relationship. And I think that's why it's also such an important area when we think about attachment and where children maybe have experienced early developmental trauma. But then it's a really, because I, like I've said before, um, we're all sensory beings and it's a relevant area to look at throughout life. Um, a student once asked Jeanette, um, when do you start being concerned about sensory integration with a child? And her answer was at eight weeks gestation. And then when the student asked, but why? She said, well, you first have to find out that you're pregnant. So really, it's from before we're born until the day we die, it is relevant. We're always using sensory information to help us make sense of ourselves, of the world and of others. So um, it's really important in relationships as well. That's a great description. I really like that. Can you tell me what's different about air sensory integration? Because I see there's lots of different ver versions of sensory integration. And I think, yes, so air sensory integration has now been coined and patented. And I think that is fantastic because um, I think when you are looking for a therapist trained in sensory integration, you're looking for sensory integration therapy for your child, you have to make sure that the therapist is adequately qualified. That ensures that um, they are qualified enough and astute to look at 
all the different functional areas, maybe functional difficulties that your child might be experiencing and linking that to the right underlying components. It's not good enough just to fill out a questionnaire and then hand that to a parent and say, this is the child's profile. Um, also, I think commonly um, misunderstood uh, when people talk about sensory processing or sensory integration. Now, sensory processing is only one part of sensory integration. There is the ability to, the way we perceive sensory information, then how we process it, how we discriminate sensory information, and how we organize that information. So it really is quite complex. So, yeah, so that's first of all. So I think the, the reason um, that I'm quite keen to use air sensory integration is that you know exactly um, what you're going to be getting, because that's what I was going to say. Some people might think about when they talk about sensory difficulties, it's only about how much or how little we perceive of sensory information. And again, that's only one part being oversensitive or undersensitive, looking for more sensory information or avoiding some sensory information. That's only one part. But like I've mentioned earlier, it also has an impact on our motor skills, on our way and how we engage and participate in activities. So again, it is complex. Um, and when we think about air sensor integration, really we're going back to gene air way of thinking and that's proven over time to be quite accurate and people have done research and they've built upon her initial theories and it's developed and it's grown but the crux of it is still is still very relevant um and when you go back to Gina she's still so inspiring and what she says and it's still so she was so ahead of her time what's really good is there's a lot of research out there around sensory but um there might have been unhelpful research where they've concluded the sensory integration isn't effective. But then when you read the research, it maybe was looking at putting a weighted vest on a child without any comprehensive assessment beforehand. And so that might have been even the wrong strategy. Um, but if we think about air sensory integration and we adhere to the fidelity now that's been set out, we know that we're doing it in a manualized, standardized way. And that is much better than to record progress and also show people that actually this works. Okay, so what does it look like? If I'm a parent, can you take me from the point I get in touch with you right through a program to the end? Absolutely. So um, how I do it is I first of all start with conducting a comprehensive assessment. Now, that's really important because that makes sure that I consider all the different areas, that I don't miss something, that I don't make any assumptions. And that when I get to the end of the assessment process, I can make relevant recommendations and provide meaningful strategies, things that's going to actually make a difference or be helpful. And so I start off initially, um, I offer free consultate, initial consultations with all parents that um, make an inquiry inquiry um, and then I start off with gathering a lot of background information and that guides my thinking into what questionnaires I would like to use and then what assessment tools I would use because for each child and person that is different um, and I choose it according to their abilities and according to the concerns that parents have raised with me. So um, the, the assessment will look fairly different for different children. With some of them, I might use more standardized assessments. And with others who aren't able to engage in those standardized assessments, I will lead those standardized assessments and form my clinical observations and the way I look at things. And then once I've done that, so I might look at, a, a, some children will come to my therapy studio and I would look at them in the studio. And my studio has got a lot of, lots of suspended equipment, like different types of swings, crash pads, 
uh, ball pits, um, slopes. So I can see them using their bodies in lots of different ways. But what is more helpful actually is um, observing a child in their everyday activities. So look at looking at them having a snack or maybe putting their shoes on or drawing or using scissors to cut with. And those are the really helpful bits of information that I then use to um, inform me and, and understand what's underlying all of this, what's, what's actually going on. So that's the assessment process. If we got to the end of an assessment and you thought that you were able to help, what might that look like? How many appointments might I have? Would they be, is there homework for me to do or do I do it all with you? Yeah, so it's, it really is a collaboration with parents and young people and children. And I work with what is most important to them and their goals. And, and, and that's how we then incorporate that into therapy. Now, therapy could look very different um, for different individuals. Um, an assessment might identify that with a few strategies that is implemented at home and nursery or school, um, a child might be able to function and achieve those things that they want to achieve. So it might be the strategies are enough. Um, it might be that the assessment um, indicates that one-to-one direct therapy would be helpful. And in that instance, that sometimes happens in somebody's home, um, at nursery or school, or in my therapy studio. Um, and so if we, I use a lot of um, equipment like big, large balls, beanbags to crash and swings if it's in my studio, but some parents um, end up putting swings in their homes as well. And I really involve parents in that process. So they're in the therapy session with me. And what, what is really good about that is that um, they see what I'm doing and they, they start understanding. We talk about why I'm doing things and we talk about what happened in a certain instance. And that means that the parent feels more comfortable um, naturally starting to incorporate some of these activities at home. And that's where the magic happens. It doesn't happen with one session a week in my therapy studio, but it's about... Um, the child realizing that they can um, move their body maybe in a certain way, they can change the way they do things to succeed, and then practicing that at home in a natural, playful manner. Um, so I would never get, give a set of exercises to do per se. I might give some suggestions for play activities that I know will address the underlying components that I want to address. Um, but it's always done in a playful, fun manner. It's always done tapping into the child's intrinsic motivation, following their lead, and then facilitating what I want to happen in the session or at home. So really using the child's interests and their abilities to work on what we need to work on. Sounds fascinating. Sounds good fun as well. It is really good fun. And sometimes a parent will say to me, but you've just been playing with my child. And then what a play usually is, I got it perfectly right then because it shouldn't look like hard work. But often the child is working really hard and it's about just pitching it at that just right challenge, you know, challenging them in a way that they need to try and learn something without stopping so they can still um, achieve success and um, a sense of mastery so that they can build on that. So, yes, it should absolutely look like play and having fun but there's a lot going on underneath that. Karina, I'm going to ask you this question, although you've already described it. What concerns or behaviours might I see that would prompt me to get in touch with you? 
Yes, so it could be um, functional activities, like we've mentioned before, washing, getting dressed, using cutlery, using a pen, playing, so play skills, making friends. Um, it could, there could be some behavioral um, concerns, so behaviors that challenge others. Um, so there might be, um, some children might get really angry, really dysregulated. There might be some concentration difficulties, difficulty attending and focusing on activities. Um, so a child might have difficulty sitting still and moving a lot. Um, so anything really that interferes with their ability to engage in those activities that they need to engage every day, that interferes with their ability to develop in the way that you would expect them to develop. And that's usually when parents would contact me. That was really clear. Thanks. You're so enthusiastic about what you do. It absolutely comes over in, in how you speak about it. What prompted you to get into this kind of work? I think, well, I'm actually from South Africa and that's where I studied. And sensory integration is part of our pre-graduate course. And so that's where I was exposed to it. And, and like I said before, it made sense to me. Um, how, our sen- how our senses informs us and helps us develop all these skills that we need to develop. So really early on, I knew that I wanted to learn more about it. And so I started the journey um, oh, quite, a, quite a number of years ago now, probably about 11, 12 years ago. And it has been a, it's been a wonderful journey. And for myself as well, you know, learning a little bit more about myself and how my brain processes information and how and what I need um, from, you know, my sensory needs. So um, I do, I'm very passionate about it and I can see what a difference it makes. So, you know, when you um, reframe the problem, you find a different solution. And sometimes we just have to look through a different lens for really to understand what's going on underneath here. Um, And always believing that a child is acting within their capacity. So if they're struggling, we need to think, you know, what can we do different? What can we change? Be that the task or the environment? And how can we support them to enable them to actually be successful and not fail and achieve that sense of mastery? And and now, yes, I can do it. Um, and I think that's why I'm I'm so passionate about this because it helps me look through a different lens. It helps me reframe behavior to parents and to children and young people. Um, to understand things a little bit differently, employ different strategies. And, and that's, yeah, that's where the magic happens. What age group do you work with? I work really from birth to um, young adults. And I occasionally see adults as well. Um, so really any, um, but most of my um, clients are um, from the age of two to 18. Okay, so if there's parents out there who've decided that they really want to get in touch with you and explore this further, how do they get in touch with you? So they can contact me on my mobile, um, which I can give to you, or my email address. Or I've got a Facebook page um, that I try every so often to be active on, but I always check my messages. And I've got an Instagram account as well. Um, So any of those means they can contact me and I will get back to them. Thank you very much for talking to me. That's been really interesting and I hope it's given some new possibilities to some of the parents who are listening. Oh, thank you, Pauline. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to the Helping Hand podcast, connecting families with help and support when they need it. If you want more information or to find a therapist near you, go to helpinghandonline.co.uk.